0: First Peter chapter three. We've been walking through this sermon series, uh, looking at ultimately how the gospel calls us to live different in a world that is different in that we're not of this place. We uh, our home is in heaven, so as a result, it changes how we live here. We just sang a song, and, and I want to, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but as I sing a song, it's really important for me to think on the words that I'm singing, uh, to understand why I'm singing what I'm singing. We just sang a, a song. Um, and it's talking about ultimately what Jesus has done. It says, you're my author, my maker, my ransom, my savior, my refuge, my hiding place. Why do we need a refuge? A refuge is something you run to when things are bad. Or why do we need, why would it say he's our hiding place? Why would we need to like run and hide in him? He says, you're my helper and my healer. Why do we need a helper and a healer? I mean, he says, my blessed redeemer, my answer, my saving grace. Why do we need an answer? And an answer to what? Why, why is it as we talk about what we're singing and we're talking about Him, it's like there's something wrong, there's something bad, and then He's the, the opposite of that. Because something is bad, Lord, I run to You. Because I might suffer, because I might go through hardships, God, You're the answer to that. It says, You're my hope in the shadows. You're my, my strength in the battle, my anchor for all my days. Here, what I'm about to say as we prepare for this message As we talk about suffering and how God in his word guides our thought on suffering. There is a false gospel. Gospel means good news. There is a fake good news that is preached that if you place your faith in Jesus, he will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. If you follow him, man, you'll get rich. Send in your 899 prayer rag and free shipping and handling, and we've prayed over a blessing, and you're gonna get wealthy. You're gonna get rich. And then, so people are like, yeah, I want Jesus if it's gonna make me wealthy. Or, hey, listen, he's the healer. You, if you follow Jesus, you're gonna be healthy. You're, not, you're never gonna have sickness. You're never gonna have problems or trials. The, what's wrong with that is it's not biblical. Passages that we're gonna look at today, they prepare us for bad times. They prepare us for suffering because in this world, things are broken. Uh, Sadie, she's gotten over the summer to where she really wants to stay up late. Sadie's my daughter. I think it's because Luke falls asleep. So she's like one-on-one time. So last night it's late. She's getting the giggles. And uh, she looks at me like laughing, giggling, dead serious face. She says, Daddy, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, Sadie, I'm I'm preaching on, on suffering and how Jesus is our hope. Uh, in, in the middle of suffering. She says, hmm, she thinks for a second and dead serious, she looks at him and says, okay, I'm gonna help you out. So this is like when things are bad, I hope that Jesus will make things better and that he will turn bad people into good people. Mike, Sadie, that's really good. Thank you, baby. I'm gonna, are you, Daddy, did you type that? <laughs> Write that down. Okay, Sadie, if you're watching right now, babe, I, I typed it down and I used it. But here's the thing about hope. When we talk about hope, If we're not careful, our view or idea of hope is more like this this thought that uh, it's it's like wishful thinking. Uh, I I hope God's gonna fix this. I'm not sure, but I hope he will. I hope he's gonna provide for me. I'm not sure, but I hope he'll do that. That's not the biblical understanding of hope. That's, you know, Sadie in her mind, she's trying to process what hope is. I want you to tell a six-year-old girl how you define what hope is. Hope is, and so here it is, you ready? Hope in the Bible, it's not wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is this confident assurance that things will work out because of Jesus. It's not like, oh, I kind of hope he will. It's, I know things are going to be okay because Jesus is on the throne, because he is my maker, because he's my refuge, because he is my hope. He is my light in the darkness. So because of that, in suffering, I'm confident, not in my circumstances, but in, in my Savior, So hope, we've talked about how this hope in Christ affects, and this is what 1 is about, it's about hope, this living hope, and how this living hope affects my holiness, it affects my identity, it affects authority and submission, how I submit to authority in my life, and then marriage, and how my hope affects marriage. I think it's interesting that he goes straight from talking about marriage, and now he gives you some teaching on suffering, so... Some of you are like, yes, come on. We got a word for you, it's all good, here we go. So here's what I hope we do today. Today, what I wanna do is we open up 1 Peter. I wanna give you a biblical worldview of suffering. How I believe the Bible teaches us that we should look at suffering in a broken world and, and how that is different than the world as an exile. As somebody where this is not my home, how should I think about suffering and how does that lead to people knowing Christ and us making him known? So let me just quickly, if I was going to really fastly define maybe a biblical worldview, I'd say that we never suffer without hope. Our suffering is never meaningless, and it's not endless. Our suffering is never without hope. We never suffer without hope. Our suffering is never meaningless, and it is not endless. Our suffering has an end date to it. No matter what you're going through, you can put an end date to your suffering. And so we should expect suffering. Uh, so let me give you the two points that we're gonna really use. I'm gonna give it to you right at the beginning. And these are the two things we're gonna hit. We're gonna spend a lot more time in point one and then we will rush through point two and you'll understand when we get there. So here's here's the two points. We should expect suffering and we should know that it's temporary. We should expect suffering and we should know that suffering is temporary. So let's talk about expecting Suffering. Let's talk about expecting suffering. Let's just go ahead and look. i tell you what I'll do. I'm gonna read through First uh, Peter chapter three, the first few verses here that we're gonna cover, and we'll cover the rest at the end. Look at verse 13 with me. He says, "'Who then will harm you "'if you are devoted to what is good? "'But even if you should suffer for righteousness, "'you are blessed. "'Do not fear what they fear.'" Or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this, he says, with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." following Jesus is hard. Anybody that preaches following Christ is this easy, you're never gonna have hardships, you're never gonna suffer, you're never gonna go through difficulties, is not preaching the whole counsel of God's word. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that following Jesus requires a a grit, a strength is required to swim upstream against a current in our world that is going away from Christ. So as the world pushes away from Jesus, it takes a, a strength to follow Christ different than the way that our world does. But expecting suffering, it helps us. Let me give you an example. I want you to imagine you go to the doctor and like many of you watching online or maybe present, hopefully if you're present, it's been after a 14 day period with no temperature or effects. You go to the doctor and you found out I have COVID. And you're looking at the doctor and immediately says, hey, you've tested positive. What's your first thought? Now what? Okay, tell it to me. Like, what does this mean for me? Uh, What what are the symptoms gonna be? How are we gonna fight this bad boy? I've heard about COVID, what do we do now? You wanna know what's coming. Whether it's good or bad, you wanna know what's coming. Some of you, you've gotten the diagnosis, you have cancer. What's your next thought? Okay, how do we fight this and and what's gonna happen? I, I wanna know what's coming. Whether it's good or bad, I wanna know what to expect with this illness. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment that their doctor looks at you and is like, hey, look, this is bad news. Like, you're gonna suffer. He's thinking this in his mind and he just looks at you and says, "Mm, I don't wanna give you bad news. So, um, hey, listen, it's all gonna be okay. Just go home and sleep it off. Yeah, you're gonna be fine. You're gonna be good. No worries at all. As a matter of fact, sir, I read an article on how to be happy today and I just wanna share with you what it says and how you can be happy. Listen what it says. This is for real, by the way. It says, number one, smile. I know... You've just been diagnosed with something bad, but you just smile, it'll make you feel better. Number two, think positive. Think positive. If you will change your mindset, it will change how you feel in the moment. Number three, get sleep. Now, I think your doctor probably would tell you to get sleep, by the way, and that is a good thing. The Bible actually tells you to get sleep, but get sleep, that'll fix it. Number four, smile. You already said that, I know, but it emphasizes this, so smile. Number five, go outside. If you go outside and let the sunlight and the outside, just the birds chirping and the gnats and the flies and the pollen and the mosquitoes that come up on you like hummingbirds in Georgia, it will make you feel better, I promise. Go outside as you have a heat stroke. Number six, find a safe place. Find a safe place. If you'll find a safe place that is yours, that safe place, that environment of Zen will help bring about healing. And number seven, boost your self-esteem. Think better about yourself. If you can change how you see yourself, then we can, everything's going to be okay. Now, who in the world wants your doctor to look at you and tell you something like that? No, you want to know, even if it's going to be hard or bad, shoot me the truth. Look, Jacob, here's the deal. This is going to feel like death. This is going to be awful. This is going to be painful. You need to get in your room for 14 days with the door shut, they need to slide you crackers under the door. Seal the bad boy Don't get near anybody. First of all, let me just throw that out there. I don't care how I'm about to physically feel. If you tell me I can't be around people for 14 days right now, it's like putting me in an insane asylum. All right, this sickness is awful. I don't, I mean, and then, but some of you are living this. But by knowing what to expect, you know how to fight it. You know how to combat. You know what's coming. And you would rather hear how to, to go against it than just not knowing it at all. You see, suffering reveals what we put our hope in. Now, listen to this. Experts believe that there are gonna be 68,000 deaths of despair from COVID. Deaths of despair, uh, despair is a new term that we use for suicide. It, it, it's that they were in such despair over what's going on that they decided it's better to end their life. So deaths of despair or suicide, however you wanna word that, that there will be 68,000 deaths that will come from it. And they believe there are two primary things that are driving this. Number one, social distancing. And number two, unemployment. These two things combined are giving us a, a, a rise or an uptick in suicide rates. And here's why. When you place your hope in people or money, and then your hope and those things are taking away because of a disease or a sickness. Now you've lost your job. And so that was your hope, money and provision and stuff. You're now in despair. You're hopeless. Or if your hope is in people, they give you your identity. They make you feel good. They make you feel satisfied. And now you can't be around them. Now you're hopeless. And as a result, we're seeing an uptick in suicide or death or despair. Why? Because there's no hope. There's despair. Since... 2010, the rise in suicides across the spectrum is, is the highest rate over a 10 year span that we have in recorded history, why? Why would suicide increase in a place? Not only is it, you would say, is it increasing across the board, but there's been a huge spike in suicides amongst millennials. You're like, well, hang on, why would millennials want to end their life? There's so much to live for. Look at life, there's technology and stuff and there's more gadgets and fun things. There's more luxury available at our fingertips than ever before. Why would anybody wanna lose out on the possibility of all the things that could bring and come our way in the future? I mean, like the Jetsons is a for real possibility at this point. I mean, you look at what's coming and the way that things are increasing, like there's all these exciting things, yet millennials are saying, I'm losing hope. Why? Here's why. Because we are raising millennials to place their hope in the wrong thing. Their hope is being placed on influence and and, and social media influence. I'm valued because of how many followers I have. I'm valued because of my appearance. I'm valued because we teach them, if you wanna make it in life, you've gotta be the top of your class. You have to succeed. You better get a job with money. And if you don't get those things, then you're gonna be a, a failure. So they just say, well, you know what? Dadgummit, I have no hope There's no point in living anymore because all the things that I'm placing hope in are being stolen from me. And so I'll just end my life. There's no point of of living. Here's what I wanna encourage you right now. And listen to me if you're watching online or you hear me. Many of you watching have been touched by suicide. Many of you have thought it yourselves. You have gone through suffering that is so personal, so hard, so deep, that you thought, you know what, the only way out of this is to just to not live. It's the only way I can be. You've gone through a marriage that hasn't worked, and you are so deeply scarred that you just lost hope for life. You had a friend that hurt you so deeply that you thought, man, I just don't know if there's a point of living. Today, what I want you to find as we walk through First Peter is that there is something worth living for. And all of these things that you are trying to place hope in, they will all ultimately lead to you being unsatisfied. And when you experience suffering, it will show you how those things that you place hope in, they fail. But I wanna share with you something today that will never fail you. So here's the question that I wanna begin as we look at the text. What is your hope in? Draw a circle around yourself right now and answer that. What have you placed the hope of your life on and in? What are you hoping in? So let's look at the text, start in verse 13. He says, who then will harm you if you are devoted to doing what is good? Is there gonna be harm if you do what is good? So what I wanna do is we expect suffering. I wanna ask three questions that this text kind of brings up. The first one is, well, what is good? He said, who would harm you for doing what is good? So what what is good? He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, So the basis of this text is that as children of God, we desire to do what is good. And he defines what is good as a people who wanna do righteousness. Righteousness in the Bible is defined by the will of God. God's word defines what is right. And so as a people who want to obey and live out the will of God in our life, we wanna do good, which is righteousness, who would harm you for that? Specifically, he's saying, who would want to bring harm to your life because you, are, you identify as a Christ follower who wants to live out the word of God and the will of God in your life? Why would, who, why would there be any suffering for that? So listen, suffering, there's general suffering that everyone experiences. We live in a broken world. It says the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Sickness, disease, cancer, it doesn't pick and choose. It doesn't say, mm, there's Christians, I'm gonna give Christians cancer. That's not how this broken world works. It affects everyone evenly. Yet, it says on top of that, there will be some people who are going to bring suffering into your life because simply you want to do what is good. You want to identify as a Christ. You want to follow Jesus. You say, well, what does that look like? What does it look like in the eyes of the world to do righteousness and to suffer? Maybe you're passed over for a job. You, you, you are qualified, though legally you can't do that, but they're like, mm, you know what? I'm not a Christ follower and I don't want this person rising up into my ranks as a Christian that we're not gonna be compatible because they're different, they're kind of weird, and that we're not gonna gel so somebody else gets a job. And your first thought is, I'll tell you what, I'm about to sue them jokers right to the now. I'm gonna win this job. I'm gonna fight them because that's what the world tells you to do. Well, how should we answer in that suffering? What about maybe you've, you've suffered as a, as a believer in a form of persecution because you feel left out? Oh man, a group of people are getting together to, and they know that they're gonna get together and go enjoy some sin. And they know that you will not be for that. And if you get invited, you're gonna first do your best to talk them out of it. Then they're all gonna feel bad because you just called them out on that junk so instead of that, and you crash in their party, they just don't invite you to the party. So you're at home, you're pulling up your Instagram, and you're like, oh, look at here, look at here. Wait, what are my girls doing over here hanging out? And it's not just a girl thing. Guys, you're like, what? Why are my boys over here, out here shooting guns in the woods, they ain't tell me. Because they knew that they were gonna want to smoke some dope while they were out there. Wait, wait, why am I getting left out? Why all of a sudden is this happening? Well, it's because you, they know you, they're identifying you with Jesus. How many times do you think the preacher gets invited to the party? Don't laugh too hard. Some of y'all invite me. It's okay. I'm following your Instagram too. I mean, how often do you think that, 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 that happens? It's gonna happen, he says. You're gonna suffer at times because you're your following Christ. What about being walked on? So you are like, I'm not gonna do this. Ain't nobody gonna walk on me. You wear the tread on me shirt and you're like the snake and that's like you, like, mm, I'll bite you. You ain't gonna walk on me. I'm not gonna be a doormat in this world. Nobody is gonna walk over me. You've been hurt, you've suffered, and as a result, you've grown tough and hard-hearted and you said, no, I, I will not let anybody walk on me. So you walk around with malice. You got a chip on your shoulder. You're like, uh, somebody doesn't hold the door for you. Fine, you don't wanna hold the door for a Christian? And they're like, whoa, I didn't see you. But I'm not sure I would be holding the door for a Christian, by the way, you just responded. Because the way that we respond in this life, what do we do? How do we handle it? What about this, though? There are people right now being beaten and attacked and murdered for their faith. This is happening right now all over the world. Last year, 2019, 1,847 churches were attacked who identified as, as churches who were worshiping Jesus. Last year, uh, a conservative small estimate, the, the most conservative number possible, I believe at least 8,000 Christians in 2019 were murdered because they identified as a follower of Jesus. Oh, you're a Christian, I'm gonna kill you. And they were murdered, 8,000. Now that's the most conservative number. The, uh, the Center for Study of Global Christianity, probably the largest a most well-funded group that studies Christianity as a whole in in these areas says that they believe the number is closer to 90 to 100,000 people are murdered every year for their faith in Jesus Christ. A large number of those are coming from the Democratic Republic of of Congo where uh, a radical Muslim group is going through, raping men, women, and children, murdering them violently, and no one is really rising up against that. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people are being murdered, walking into an entire village, worshiping Jesus, murder them. This happens every day. We are talking hundreds of people dying every day because they had, simply because they identified as a child of God. How do we handle this suffering? I'll tell you what some of you do. Some of you say, that's it. I have special foreignness training. I, hey, th- the good old USA has trained me and in the name of Jesus, I'm putting a backpack on and I'm gonna introduce the Congo to what it means to be a child of God. And some of y'all right now are like, hoorah, let's go, take up funds, we'll send you over there. We will drop you into that territory in the name of Jesus and you can GI Joe and let them know Jesus reigns. Don't lie, how many of you, that's your first response right now, you're ready to eight minutes. I see you, for the, you better raise a hand in church. Because our response is that yet here's what he tells us those who are doing good for righteousness sake He says these are those who live in a world who is different. It shows you where your hope is So what is your worldview on suffering? Let me give you a few wrong worldviews that some of you have right now Some of you you're not a believer. So you are entering in with this no god worldview So your assumption is that the next life will be nothing that when you die, you close your eyes and there's nothing. You just go to sleep and, and there's done. There's, no, there's nothing after this. So then if you believe in, that there is no God, then your worldview on suffering is I don't want suffering because this is the best I will ever have in life. And so I will avoid suffering at all costs because I don't believe that there is a, a God. Yeah, or maybe some of you, you would say, yeah, maybe I do believe in God, but I believe that suffering is pointless. And so because suffering has no point, you want the most comfortable, easy life as possible. Let me just say most of the people that you talk to, it, they're gonna fall in that category. If you asked them if there's a God, they'd say, yeah, I probably think that there's somebody up there somewhere. But they would say they, that the aim of their life, that the world is to maximize their comfort and minimize their suffering. Whatever I can do to maximize comfort in life and minimize suffering. Christians would say, I want the will of God no matter what. If the will of God brings suffering, then I'll take suffering if it means I'm living in the will of God. I want him above everything else. And if it means the suffering and pain, then oh well. There's another wrong religious suffering worldview that I I hear all the time. And that is, if there's suffering involved, that means that something went bad and you either chose the wrong path or you're living in sin. So it'd be something like this. Up, oh, Job, you're suffering. The friend was like, then you need to repent of something. Like you're doing something wrong. Or, hey, you, you made the wrong path in life. So that would be something like this. You take a job and you're suffering in that job. And you tell your parents about it and they're like, I told you, you should have been a doctor. You're the one that signed up for the military. It's your fault. You're suffering because you chose wrong and, and it's bad as if the only route that God has for us is good and easy and blessed and prosperous. And that if you're gonna follow God, then you will know that's the right path by being blessed and prosperous. So you get into a marriage, we just talked about marriage, and things get hard year two, and you're like, oh, I picked the wrong one. Mother-in-law was right, made the wrong choice as if that there are not going to be obstacles and suffering that goes along with marriage that you learn from and you grow through. And so, what is this biblical worldview? Well, the biblical worldview is that we never suffer without hope because of Jesus. Even in the most difficult situations and suffering, Jesus is our rock and our hope and our refuge. Our suffering is never meaningless. All the suffering that we will go through Jesus, there's meaning and he teaches us. That all things eventually are gonna to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There is meaning in suffering. God will never waste one drop of your suffering. I know that my little girl one day is gonna to come to me and tell me that she, she's got a boyfriend. And my initial response in that moment of suffering is to go back to the G.I. Joe commando in Jesus' name moment. That is gonna be my flesh response. And all of y'all can hold me accountable. I'm, I'm gonna need prayer. I'm not gonna like the whole situation. Uh, but, and, and I know at some point, the chances are that as she's dating some dude, it's probably not gonna work out in some point. And either he's gonna break up with her, even though he better not. She better break up with him. That's a whole other lesson. But either way, we'll go middle school in this junk. And, and, and there's a breakup and I'm gonna come home. And as a dad, I'm gonna wanna fix the situation. But instead of fixing it, I wanna make sure that I don't waste a moment of suffering. Man, this is a moment for me to love my child. This is a moment for me to hold my child. This is a moment for me to be present with my child. This is a moment for me to eventually use that suffering to teach and to us to rely on God. And I realize you're hurting and you're in pain and this is real to you right now. Can can I just tell you when, when I'm hurting, when I'm suffering and when I'm going through things that are hard, this is what I do and I'm teaching and training how I, in suffering, turn to Jesus, and he becomes my rock. God never, our suffering is never meaningless, but it's also, there's suffering, it is not endless. Our biblical worldview knows that no matter what I suffer in this world, there's an end date to it. One day I'm going to breathe my last, and my suffering is over. And for all of eternity, I will not suffer in that way. So I view my suffering in light of God. It's not going to, so what well, does God care? Look, here's the reality. Sometimes bad things happen to those who are attempting to follow Jesus. So look what he says in verse 14 as we fly. First Peter's sermons have been long. Let's enjoy it, First, verse 14. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. In our suffering, he says, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. Why? This contradicts the health and wealth gospel. You will suffer in following Jesus. And so for the health and wealth people, well, that, you're wrong. So here's what Peter is saying. Jesus is so much better than a life filled with health and wealth and no suffering. Man, if you had a choice right now, you can A, pick a life with Filthy rich, no suffering, healthy all the days of your life, and you have literally billions upon billions of dollars, but you have no Jesus. And over here, you have Jesus, but you have suffering and sickness and difficulties and trials and what seems to just be an awful life, but you have Jesus. Which life do you pick? That shows you what your hope is in. Because what Peter is saying, the person who has Jesus and sickness and suffering and trials and difficulties and persecution, they have more wealth in Jesus Christ than anything this world has to offer. What's your hope in? Jesus is that much better. So do not fear or be intimidated by them. We don't back down. We don't go for it. Talk smack, make fun of me. Make me one of those people, you know, make me a meme or a gif or a gif. Y'all decide what to call that junk. It's okay, go for it. But I'm not gonna be intimidated, I'm not gonna be belittled. You do not have that power because I have everything in Jesus Christ. He is my hope. See, suffering should cause us to ask what is is good and it should point us to righteousness and salvation in Jesus Christ. It should also ask ask us what's important. Look at what he says in verse 15. In verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Remember, holy is cut out, set apart. So in our heart, Jesus should be set apart, unique, different than everything else that's in our heart. Jesus is to be regarded as as holy. He is important. He's more important than anything else. Listen, suffering, it sharpens our focus on the few things in life that really matter for eternity. I haven't really talked about it a lot because I really haven't known how to even talk about it. Uh, several weeks ago uh, on a Saturday morning, early, early Saturday morning, I got a phone call um, that my cousin had died. I know some of you watching online right now, you know him. Some of you here maybe know him. His name's Justin Green. So I want to be careful how I, how I talk about, you know, the situation I love and, and honor and respect for, for my cousin. It's the closest person to me probably that I've walked through this type of scenario with, and I'll tell you it's been—it's been hard. There really hasn't been a 15 or 20-minute stretch since then that I haven't thought about him. They haven't thought about it. He's four years younger than me, so in a lot of things in life, he kind of followed in. And we played baseball and sports, and we—we uh, we busted more windows playing wiffle ball at his house. I mean, we—there's stories galore. And here's the reality. Here's maybe the heart-wrenching part of it. Um, a few years ago, our church softball team was playing a team that he was on. And afterwards, I always do my very best in my prayer to share Jesus. If you've played softball, like we're going for it. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody gonna hear about Jesus. We might lose, but we are gonna win. You know what I'm saying? But now at Shirley Hills, we gonna win. Anyway, uh, we were talking at the end of the game and we talked for a long time about Jesus and the gospel. And I hope, I hope when I get to heaven, he's gonna be there. I hope, but I don't know. And in that suffering, it changes what you view as important. The thought that anybody that we know or love could spend an eternity in hell separated from God changes what is really important in life. Hey, church, can I just be honest? As a pastor, I think churches as a whole have gotten a bad name in our culture because we fight over the dumbest things while people are dying and going to hell. Right now, some of your families, you're fighting over things that are stupid. They're dumb. You've brought suffering on yourself over arguing over things that really eternally just don't matter. Suffering has a way of bringing focus and clarity on what's really important in life. He quotes a passage here, and, and, uh, and, and I love what he does. He says, do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. This is a quote out of Isaiah chapter eight. And in Isaiah chapter eight, all around them, the enemy was getting really strong, and they were fear, they were scared. They were disappointed. They just didn't know what to do because they seemed like we're about to be overcome by what's around us. That's kind of how you, we feel in our sufferings. We're gonna be overcome by what we're going through. Everything you see is that thing causing suffering. And so he uses this verse at Isaiah 8 and he's quoting verse 12 at Isaiah 8. I wanna read it to you, because I love it for a few reasons. First of all, he says, do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy. Let me read that again for the people in the back. Do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy. Why? Because when things are bad and they're suffering, all of a sudden, your mind can start playing games on what is right and what is bad. Well, everything becomes a conspiracy. When you're suffering, you're like, what's that noise? Who did that? Somebody trying to come get me? Oh, you said this, you mean this. And you start connecting dots that aren't there. And he's telling the people of God, stop playing all the conspiracy games and listen to this. He says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Are set apart. Why would you be scared of anything that's going on out there when we had the Lord of armies with us? Only he should be feared and only he should be held in awe. So, what he is saying here in this passage is that because we should regard Jesus is holy in our life. He is set apart. He is the most important thing. And when we take Jesus and we take our sufferings and we put them together, suffering so crumbles in comparison to who Jesus is that we know he is the Lord of armies. He is the King of kings. So I will not be afraid of my suffering. I will not be afraid of my trial. I will not be afraid of of what I'm going through in light of being a Christ follower. You see, fear grips us and locks us in on this subject that's causing the fear. But God, he is saying, is who we should be in awe of or overwhelmed by his greatness and his splinter. So honor him, set him apart. Will we fear Christ who deserves to be set apart in our lives or are we gonna feel suffering and things that are going on? Church, listen to me, every day people are dying and going to hell and Jesus placed us here to do something about it. What is really important? There's a million things that we can choose to fight about. Or we can regard Christ as holy and set apart and we can just do what is the most important thing. You see, when economies crash, when your hope is in Jesus, instead of suicide and and hopelessness, they'll look to you and they'll see your generosity and your neighbor love. They're like, wait, hang on. Man, you don't know if you're gonna have a job. We don't know if we have money. We don't know what's going on in the economic situation in the world, yet you're still giving to your church. You're still being generous and loving your neighbor. You're cooking the meals and helping people in the midst of their trials. Yeah, why? Well, because I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Jesus provides bread for me. He is my sustainer. He is my rock. So I'm not gonna live in worry or fear. I'm not gonna let all these people bring me into a situation where I don't have to be. He's my... And they're going, away. who are you? Oh, it's not who am I. It's, it's just how I view the world because of Jesus. It's who he is. So our response to, sh- to suffering, it shows the world who is really on the throne. So much so that what he then says is because of this, you better be ready to give a defense for the hope that's in you. Meaning you are going to live so different and set apart and you're gonna trust in God You're gonna honor him in your heart. Think of all the things in your heart and you're gonna make Jesus set apart above everything else that the world is gonna ask why. So be ready, he says, at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now listen to me, some of you read this verse and you're terrified right now. You're like, oh, I I gotta have a theological dissertation ready to go. No, you don't. He's asking you for your testimony. The reason that you have hope in Jesus Christ. What has God done in your life that has made you have that that Let me close this, what's your choice? What choice do we have? What, what choice do we have in this? Look at verse 17. He says, now you should, there's, a, it, there's a, a choice. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. We have a choice, we can either do good or bad. And if we're gonna do good, we might suffer. If we do bad, we're, we're gonna suffer. So you have to make a choice. What would be bad? What would be bad is returning evil for evil. Fighting on their level. Uh, reacting in the way the world would. So I'm gonna give evil back. But he says, no, if you're gonna suffer, let it suffer for doing good. And then there's an eternal reward in Christ for this. There's a choice that we have to make. Fear man and seek their approval or fear God and follow him. Our blessing is eternal for those who choose to, to follow God, do righteousness, even if we struggle in this present age for it. We don't live in exile to escape suffering but to magnify God in the midst of suffering, even if we're gonna suffer for following Jesus. So let me close with this. I've got a few minutes on purpose to give you my second point. The passage that I'm about to read is probably, I personally believe, maybe the most confusing few verses in the entire Bible. Uh, I don't know that you're gonna read any other verses that are as confusing as this. So I wanna read them and I wanna just give you what I believe the main principle that he's teaching. And that is this, our suffering is temporary. He starts off with verse 18, which we all, amen, understand, agree on. He says, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So the principle here is that even Jesus suffered physically, was raised to new life so that we could have new life. Even Jesus experienced suffering, but that was temporary. It didn't last forever. It was a temporary suffering, and then he rose from the dead, and now we have new life in him. Now he's gonna start verse 19. I wish Peter would've chose a different illustration, but Holy Spirit, there's a reason. Here we go. Verse 19 says, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. Who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in it a few—that is, eight people—were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pl- the pledge of a good conscience toward God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is going into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers to subject to him. Y'all got it. Good. What's he saying? This is a confusing passage and I'm gonna give you really, I think maybe the two really quick predominant views of what he's saying. And I'm gonna just land on what I I think is happening here. I I like to go to the most simple solution. I think that's kind of what he's saying, but I can understand if you disagree with me. Hey, we can still hang out, I won't lose sleep. What they're saying, what some believe is that what happened is that Jesus died on the cross and when he died on the cross, he then, while his body was in the tomb, he went to to hell and he preached the gospel to the spirits uh, that were, were enslaved. Those spirits refer to Genesis chapter six before the flood. If you remember before the flood, it says that angels came down or the sons of man came down and had relations with the daughters of man and it created a, a, a people that were uber sinful, and God brought the flood as a, as a result of it. And so, their view is that the spirits here is in reference to angels, and that in Genesis 6, angels came down, uh, had sexual relations with women, created a, a race that was not right, and God wiped the planet clean because of that. And so, here it's saying that Jesus went down, preached to those angels that though they messed up, he is now risen from the dead and he had power over that. That's one view. Okay, that, uh, I would say probably 50% of people hold that view. I hold a little bit more simple view even though the text is, is not clear. The word spirits there literally means like blowing wind, uh, which is often used, pneuma, which is used for the Holy Spirit. And if you look at the verse right before that, it says Jesus died on the cross, but was raised by the Spirit the Holy Spirit. So then right behind this, he's given an an illustration where the Spirit of God spoke through uh, Christ in the day of Noah. So here's what I think he's saying. That in the day of Noah, God told him there's gonna be a flood and you better build an ark even though there's never been rain. And so as Noah was building that ark, he was preaching the gospel. Christ was preaching through him through the power of the Spirit to a people enslaved in sin demonically, Satan does everything he can to keep us blind. They were enslaved even as the gospel year after year was being preached. If you do not get on this ark, you will die. If you do not trust God and get on this ark, a flood is coming, the rain's going to come and you will die. And eight people were saved by placing their faith in God by getting on the ark and that Jesus, he is a better art. Jesus is the one who came to die for you and I to suffer, and the gospel is preached that we too would place our faith in Jesus Christ, be raised from the dead, even though there's gonna be present suffering. He saves us, and it's proven in that Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father. He is risen from the dead, and any person that places their faith in him will be saved. Super confusing passage. You can chew on more of it later. But here's what I wanna close with this. And this is kinda how we wrap up this whole thing because the whole point is this. We should expect suffering, but Jesus, he's the solution to our suffering. He's the answer, he is our deliverer. So, have you trusted Christ as your sin bearer? Have you testified of your faith in him in baptism? Some of you need to be baptized as a public declaration that Jesus has saved you, like he says, Baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't like you don't take a spiritual bath and it takes your sin away. No, no, no. We place our faith and trust in Jesus, that saves us, and baptism is the public declaration of that. Some of you, you need to be baptized. Is Jesus set apart in your heart? Is hope dominating your mind and life even in the midst of suffering? By the way we suffer, showing love and kindness, not returning evil for evil. By showing grace, like verse eight says, we will display Jesus, are you suffering well? And is the biblical worldview of suffering directing your thoughts and all that's going on in this present age?